If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Stand as you find that. 23. Beginning in verse 1. Now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares. The man who was raised on high declares. The anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, when the tender grass springs out of the earth through the sunshine after rain. Truly, Is not my house so with God? For he has made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and secured. For all my salvation and for all my desire, will he not indeed make it grow? But the worthless, every one of them will be thrust away like thorns, because they cannot be taken in hand. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they will be completely burned with fire in their place." Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for speaking to us, for revealing to us yourself, your words, your will. And I pray that, again, as we sit under your word, that we would hear your voice and respond, Lord, humbly and in faith to all that you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. Well, Bill Bushhouse um, is a good friend to stand in for me on very short notice. I think it was Saturday evening that I texted him last week and said, I can't talk. (laughs) And he's always able to talk, so um, he was more than happy to stand in for me. I appreciate Bill being here. He's a good friend and brother. Yeah, I've had this cough stuff going on for a couple weeks now, and, and it just gotten worse. I finally went to the doctor Friday and she gave me some antibiotics, and so I'm doing a little better, <clears throat> but I'm still probably going to be coughing some. I taught all this past week in camp, and toward the end of the week, I thought, man, I should have issued hazmat suits to everybody on the front row, and I was just coughing and spitting all over them all week long, and you guys are probably safer. You're a little further away than, than what our campers were, but um, they probably all went home sick. Anyway, we're, I wanted to, to not overlook um, this um, last part of David's life here. It's, it's not chronologically um, where we would <coughs> think, because um, two weeks ago we looked at 1 Kings chapter 1, which is where David, it's recorded where David is close to his death, and <coughs> the throne is transitioning from him to Solomon. But this portion here, <coughs> excuse me, is actually called the last um, words of David or the last song of David. And it's really pretty significant, because as David is looking back over his life, he's saying, this is what stands out to me. And we all um, face that, and we will face that, but at different points in our lives, I believe it, it, it is um, wise to just say, you know, what is our, our greatest blessing, the greatest gift that God has given us? If we could just summarize our lives to where we are to date... What is the 
greatest thing that God has done for us. I think a lot of us do that at Thanksgiving every year where we sit around with our families at Thanksgiving dinner and we say what we're thankful for. Uh, This is, um, though, David looking over a life and not just the past year. And I I just kind of wonder, you know, if we just were to take just a few seconds this morning and, and say, what am I most thankful for? What is that God has given me that I am most grateful for and would least want to do without? If God were to remove anything from me, what is the one thing that I would not want him to take away? The greatest blessing that he's given me. I wonder how you would answer that. And I I think that really the telltale sign is not even how you would answer that verbally, but it's really um, how we are choosing to live on a day-to-day basis. And, And so these first three verses here, to me, are really more significant even than the rest. And, and it says here, it just starts out, David, the son of Jesse. Now, David's going to describe himself four ways here. The first is just the son of Jesse. There's nothing extraordinary about that. Jesse was, was not anybody that, that had national recognition before David became king. Um, he was a man with a lot of sons, and he was an a, um, owner of sheep, and David was one of his shepherds. But that's really about all we know about Jesse. So David starts at the lowest tier, son of Jesse. And then he moves up one level, the man who was raised on high. And there he's talking about his role as king. God made me king. That's certainly more significant than being just simply the son of Jesse. But then he goes one level higher, the anointed of the God of Jacob. Because anointing was not something that every king necessarily experienced. For example, the kings of Israel, 20 of them, not a one of them experienced the anointing of God. Because they were not men living in relationship with God. And so you can have the position of being king and yet not knowing know the anointing of God. The anointing has to do with the Spirit's enabling. This seems to be what David was, was fearing would be removed from him with his sin concerning Bathsheba and Uriah, where he says, Lord, don't let your spirit depart from me. David wasn't talking about losing his salvation. He was talking about losing that enabling presence of God, which he found to be extremely necessary for his living as a king. How can I function as king and not have your spirit? This is what... Solomon recognized when he, after, shortly after he's become king and God appears to him in a dream and says, what would you like for me to do? And Solomon says, there's no way I can be king without your wisdom because my primary role is going to be that of a judge and I can't judge your people. So give me the ability to judge. Or in other words, give me enabling. I can't do this job without your spirit's enabling. So when David said, don't let your spirit (coughs) depart from me, I believe he was really not at all speaking about losing his salvation. This is important because in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we often, I've heard it all my life, that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would come and go upon people. And we equate that with salvation. But that is, that is not what David was talking about. He's talking about losing the enabling of God. 
And in that sense, that can happen for you and I as well. Because of sin, we can lose that enabling of God's presence. We don't lose His presence. We're still saved. But there's a sense where we have withdrawn from God and a barrier has come up between us and God and we're no longer functioning in the strength of the Spirit. We're functioning in our own humanity because we're not abiding in Christ. And so David's going, I don't want to lose that precious position, not of being king, but having the anointing of God upon me. So he starts out, son of Jesse, and then he says, the man who was lifted up on high, king, (coughs) and then the anointed of God. Well, that would be enough to stop with. This is a blessed man, son of Jesse, king, and the anointed of God. But David doesn't stop. He goes, you know, I, can, I have to look back over my life and go, I've been even more blessed. And now the fourth reference to himself, the sweet psalmist of Israel. That's an interesting self-characterization. Sweet psalmist. There's no other place David refers to himself as that. And even if you and I were to meet David on the street and said, um, you know, we don't know him. He doesn't have a name tag on. Who are you? And he says, oh, I'm the sweet psalmist. <laughs> oh, really? That's kind of peculiar. You know, it just seems a little effeminate. Um, sweet psalmist. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, how else does he characterize himself? But, you know, it just, it just doesn't seem very masculine somehow. It doesn't seem something that you would just really just say, this is, this is who I am. Sweet psalmist. I could hear him saying, I'm the king. People ask me at his hill all the time, what's your job here? And I'm thinking, well, you know, I, I walk around and watch people a lot. <laughs> <coughs> but they're looking for a title. And so it, the title is director at his hill. David doesn't give a title, per se, king, anointed one, sweet psalmist of Israel. Really. This was obviously significant to David. Of all the things that God had done in his life, he says, I'm a psalmist, sweet psalmist. Now, not all of David's words in those psalms are sweet. Have you read them? <laughs> I mean, a few of them you go, the guy is kind of depressed. And he's angry. And he's, some of them he's talking about, God, just kill my enemies. I've had it. Wipe them out. Sweet psalmist of Israel. But then this next verse. And again, four more statements here. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me. Wow. His word was on my tongue. That's the second thing. Third thing, the God of Israel said, and fourth, the rock of Israel spoke to me. So so David looks back over his life and he's not saying, I killed Goliath. I would be still talking about that 40 years later, wouldn't you? I mean, if I killed a man with a slingshot that was nine and a half feet tall, I would still be talking about it 40 years later. David doesn't mention Goliath. 
He doesn't mention Saul in all the years that he ran from him and how God cared for him. He doesn't mention how God delivered him from Absalom. Doesn't mention all the other enemies that were defeated. Doesn't mention how the kingdom prospered under David and how 12 disunified tribes became unified under David. And how the territory expanded and other nations were paying tribute to him. None of that he mentions. He says, the Lord spoke by me. And and you look at this at verse 2. The the spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And in verse 3, the rock of Israel spoke to me. And so both of these things are dear and precious to David. Not only has God spoken to me, God has spoken by me, through me. And as David looks back over his life, he goes, that's amazing. You know, it's one thing to be used by God. And we would all hope that God has used us. But the thing that most amazes David and what he is most grateful for is a personal relationship with God. Wherein God is talking to him and God is talking through him. David goes, that's incredible. And it still is. Is it not? Back to my initial question. If you could give up any one thing, if there's one thing that you would not give up if you had to give up every blessing, what one thing would you not give up? I believe David would say that relationship where God speaks to me and he even speaks through me. That is amazing. Now, I'm going to use this as a springboard for talking about Revelation. And in the next few Sundays, I don't know how many yet I'm going to take on it, not a lot probably, I want to talk about the nature of revelation and the nature of inspiration. Our Bibles, we say, are inspired. What does that mean? And the trustworthiness and authority of Scripture. So we'll take a few Sundays to talk about that. But David here is clearly talking about being (coughs) in such a relationship with God that God speaks by him and God speaks to him. Which begs the question, does God still do that today? And I believe there is definitely the sense in which he does. Jesus in in the Gospels, for example, said, "I, I thank you, Father, I bless you, Father, that you have not revealed these things to the wise, but you have revealed them to babes. And then Paul will pray in Ephesians that we are given a spirit of revelation concerning the, the, the things of Christ in our relationship with him. But we want to be very careful about what we are calling revelation today. So careful, in fact, that we never exceed Scripture. And that anything that we believe that God is saying to us today is absolutely subordinate and submissive to what the Scripture says. And never contradictory to it. Never. This is our authority, the Word of God. And not anything that we may believe that God has said to us. The authority, everything, every impression, every experience has to be subjected to the Word of God. 
But I believe we do have a personal relationship with Jesus. A personal, living relationship with the living God. That is no less than what David had. If anything, I think it's superior to what David had. Because there is a ministry of the Spirit today that is unique for us in many ways than what the Old Testament believers experienced. We, too, are a people who have been made one with God. And what does that oneness mean? When Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, make them one with us even as I am one with you. Can we pull out of that oneness the the component of communication? Of being in such a relationship with God where the scripture says in 1 Corinthians that we have been given the very mind of Christ. That we are not a privileged people who can be before God and have God speak to us. Again, in absolute harmony with his word. And that God can even speak through us. This is our privilege. And this is our birthright. Personal, living, dynamic relationship with God. Folks, if that's not awesome, I don't know what is. And I tell you, as I've had a few weeks now to meditate on this passage, I've had to do some my own self-examination here. Because I can stand up here and say, I cherish a relationship with Jesus just as much as David did. But if you were to look at my life, would you see that? I've been asking myself that. Am I longing to spend time with him? To sit in his presence? And to have him speak to me through his word? Is my heart being motivated and drawn to Jesus Christ and his word? Does it delight me and satisfy me to want to just pull aside and be with him? Not to just speak, but to hear. To hear him. And to be one whose words come from him. Jesus said, I've never said anything except my father spoke first to me. And the words that you hear are his words. Now, I do not believe that any of us will ever reach a state of perfection where we can say every single word that came out of our mouth came from God. If you think that's true of you, Ask your spouse, and they will tell you the truth. I know I'm not close to being there. But I do believe that Jesus lived as God intended for a man to live. In complete dependence upon God, in such a relationship of oneness with God, there was communication going on, and it wasn't one way. That's what Jesus is expressing. And that he was so surrendered to the Lord and so dependent upon him, I do nothing of my own initiative, that he actually heard God and God spoke through him. 
And I don't believe that was unique to Jesus. I believe that he was living as God intended for a man to live. We all recall that famous portion of scripture where Jesus turned to his disciples and said, who do people say that I am? And they gave their various answers. And so then Jesus said to Peter, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, brilliantly, said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And so there you have Peter who, unknown to himself, has heard from God and he has spoken by God. Peter, he didn't even, wasn't even aware of it. But God spoke to Peter. God revealed that. God has revealed this to you, Jesus said. And Peter spoke the very words of God and had no idea that he was speaking them. Amazing. So I definitely believe, and I believe my conviction is based on the word of God, that we have such a relationship with God where we have made, been made one with him. And he talks to his people. And he speaks through them. And you consider where we were before we were saved. Colossians is a, as well as Ephesians. Ephesians, man, amazing. Amazing place to go to and describes at length what our condition was prior to our salvation. Alienated. Separate. Hostile. Another portion of scripture says, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. That's not who we are. But we were. There was a time before faith in Christ, we were hostile to God. Unable to receive the things of God. Separate from Him. Alienated from Him. You ask people, any doctor will tell you this, psychologists will tell us this, that probably the greatest problem that people face in life. It's not health. It's not finances. It's isolation. Feeling alienated. Not being part of a community. This is why church is so good. Because this may be the one time of the week for many people where they come together in community. And as imperfect as the local church community is, it's far better than anything the world has to offer. And you can come together and people smile at you. (laughs) That's happening less and less outside of the church. And they smile at you and you know it's because they're not just being polite. They like you. That's amazing. If you don't think that's amazing... (laughs) Let me talk to you sometime, okay? (laughs) It's amazing that people actually like you, like me, enjoy us, put an arm around you. How are you doing? It's good to see you. And they mean it. That ministers to people, especially when when they know it's truth. These people... For reasons I can't fully understand. And it's because of the Spirit of God. 
They like me. They enjoy me. They'll touch me. And it's in kindness, in love. And you see, again, the world is craving for this, and so it's constantly looking for this in the wrong places. And this that we experience in church is just a sampling. It's just an expression, a small expression of what we have with God that we didn't have before. So what is the one thing that you wouldn't give up? I hope it is this precious intimacy with our God, our Lord, our Savior, who speaks to us and even speaks through us. How do I know (laughs) that it's dear and precious in my own life? Do I read his book? These are his words to me. In his words to you. It's becoming easier and easier. I know for me to be distracted. With so many things. That are just worthless. By comparison. I mean I keep up with. You know the news. I've got two or three news sites on my phone. And on my computer. (coughs) And every day I'll look at those things. I can't honestly say. That I'll spend every day looking at his word. There are days I don't. So it's a bit hypocritical to say nothing is more dear to me than that personal relationship with Jesus when I may not be enjoying that relationship. We forfeit it. We just disdain it so easily. David, at the end of his life, For all the good that God had given him. And all the many things he could point to. I feel that he's saying here. (laughs) This is the gift. This is the blessing. Personal relationship with God. And David knew he didn't deserve it. None of us do. Now he moves from here. And he talks about his, his role as king. And the leadership but again, if there's anything that's being expressed in his, in his um, just joy and, and uh, being in relationship with God, it's humility. Again, look at these verses, verse 2, these statements. This, the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel <coughs> spoke to me. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm missing David here when he, he, is, he is impressed that God would talk to him of all people. As we should be. But then this is what the Lord said to him. This is the one thing of many things that God said to him. This is the one thing that David had most impressed upon. him. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God. Paraphrase, he'll be a blessing. So if you've been blessed with a personal relationship with God, as we each have through faith in Jesus Christ, it should humble us. Because we are no longer aliens. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer hostile. We are no longer unable 
to ascertain the things of God. It should humble us. And that place of humility where we realize how we, by the, simply the grace of God, have been so blessed, should in turn manifest, manifest itself in being a blessing. And it gets back to these, this one word that I skipped over in verse 1. David, the son of Jesse, declares. The man who was raised on high declares. See, he's not abusing his authority. This is a man who's heard from God. He has the right to speak. But he doesn't demand. See, it doesn't say the one who's heard from God is demanding you pay attention. It doesn't say that. See, our role as those in a privileged relationship with Jesus, it's not to coerce. It is not to demand. It is not to propose It it is not to suggest, it is to declare. You know, and I have to listen to myself preach. But I tell you, when when I have a chance to hear others preach, whether it's on the radio or in person, I long to hear a man simply declare what God has said. I don't need his opinions. I don't, I don't want to have suggestions put forward. I don't want, neither do I want somebody to act like he has the authority to demand of me. Because that's an abuse of spiritual authority. But if that man has heard from God, it should humble him enough to know he has no authority. God has all authority. He has no right to demand. But he has the responsibility to, to declare what he has heard. To declare emphatically and with conviction what God has said. And there is too little of that in the church today. And it's not just the role of preachers. But again, it's not just preachers who are in the position to hear from God and for God to speak through them. It's all of us. And every one of us who have this position, privileged position also have the responsibility to declare what God has said. One of the men stopped me just before church and said, um, where does it say in the Bible this and this? And he says, because I got in a conversation with somebody and I said this and this. And that guy said, well, my children are this and this. And so I'm going, man, you really walked into it, didn't you? And so now, rightly, as each of us, we should. Now it's not about what, what I think, what they think, you know, what, what, what anybody thinks. It's what God says. And we humbly, and I mean humbly, simply declare God's words. It's not about our opinions. God's word. And so David declares what God said to him. A man who's living humbly in a personal relationship with God will be a blessing to others as he lives from that relationship. The one who, he who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, that's what we want. Not people who rule from self, not from position, not from what they think is their own authority, 
but they rule righteously, in integrity, morally. And why do they do that? Because they rule in the fear of God. They rule, but it's with humility. And under understanding, they are under authority. The fear of God is being greatly lost today. That person is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds when the tender grass springs out of the earth through the sunshine after rain. We don't get too many of those days, especially in the summer. But when it rains at night and you wake up in the morning to hearing the soft rain outside, and then the rain goes away and you step out, man, those are the most beautiful mornings, aren't they? Humidity has been cleared out of the air. There's still water on the ground. It is a fresh, beautiful morning. I mean, you can almost count on one hand how many times we have mornings like that. And David's saying, and that's true godly leadership. It is rare. But it's refreshing. It's not about themselves. A humble man who is simply declaring what God has said, who's living in the fear of God and living a righteous life by the grace of God. That's what each of us have the privilege of being and expressing in our families, wherever God places us. Truly, David says in verse 5, is not my house so with God? For he has made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and secured for all of my salvation and from all my desire, <coughs> will he not indeed make it grow? In contrast, the worthless, people who are abusing their authority, not living humbly before God in recognition of their privileged relationship with him, the worthless, every one of them, will be thrust aside like thorns. Because they cannot be taken in hand. You can't get close to a person like that. They hurt you. They're dangerous. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear. And they must be completely burned with fire in their place. This is like trying to clean out blackberry bramble with short sleeves and, pair, and wearing shorts. Just no shirt in shorts. Can you imagine doing that? I mean, I've seen fields just covered in blackberry bramble. And having to clear that out with no protection on you. And David says, sadly, that's how many people are. They, they're hurtful people. And, they, and, they're, and they're so preoccupied with themselves and their authority and their position that they do much more damage than good. They are not the rain in the early morning and the clear blue sky. So again, these are practical expressions of cherishing a privileged relationship with God. How do I know? That I cherish that relationship with God. That it is the greatest privilege and blessing God has given me. One, I will want to spend time with Him. 
But anybody can just put that and say, okay, I've done that today. I've spent my 15 minutes reading the Bible this morning. But how is this working itself out in relationships? And if I'm the kind of person that there's just everybody around me feels like they coming near me is like coming is hugging a, a cactus, you know, and it always leaves me hurting afterwards, leave other people hurting afterwards. Something's not right. How is this a person who is spending time with God who is love and who is gracious and merciful to all when there is so so many people that are just being hurt as they come into my presence? There's a contradiction here. This is why David again refers to himself as the sweet psalmist. And it's not to say he didn't have to draw the line sometimes and, and, and drop the hammer. He did. But this is a man who is much more oriented toward redemption than he was toward condemnation. That even when the hammer had to be dropped, and this is one of the things you know, we used to spend a lot of time on in our summer staff training, the difference between, between discipline and punishment. Punishment is never redemptive. Discipline is redemptive. Punishment is just about giving a person what they deserve. And walk away and say they got what they deserve. Redemption is much harder. Because it may involve punishment, but it's punishment for the sake of redemption. The goal, the final end, is not the punishment itself. It is not justice. But the goal is redemption. Restoration. And so even in meeting out discipline, there will be grace. It may not be received, may not be understood. But the person is just not out to get people. He wants their best. And David says, I look back over my life. And by the grace of God, David can say, I've lived in the fear of God. And I've lived righteously. And my leadership has not been abusive. It has not been to establish myself and to protect myself and to insulate myself and make sure nobody ever brings me down. I've lived with open hands and wanted to encourage people, build people up, motivate people, empower people, and not take advantage of people. And it all comes back to realizing who I was and what God has made me, what God has given me himself. No greater gift, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that personal relationship should flavor and impact every aspect of our lives. That's half the sermon. But that's all we're going to do today. (laughs) Next Sunday, we'll talk about Revelation, and then we'll move on to some of the other topics that I talked about. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I do thank you, God, that you have taken a people who were hostile toward you, alienated, (coughs) separated, and not able to even comprehend the things of God. 
and you have saved us, Lord. And as Jesus said in John 17, made us one with you, even as the Son and Father are one with each other. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would cherish this immense, unspeakable privilege that you have given us to be in relationship with the God of this universe, the one who sits enthroned above all, the one to whom the nations are but a drop in the bucket, and who has named and numbered every star in the universe, and that we can have a relationship with you, O God, For the angels themselves stand in your presence saying, holy, holy, holy is awesome beyond our comprehension. But I do pray, Father, that our hearts would cherish, God, what we've been given. And that as we live humbly in the recognition that we are not an isolated people, that we have been brought near, that we would walk humbly and allow you to bless others through us as we have been blessed by you. In Jesus' name, amen.